I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the letter to the Ephesians. And we'll be in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. As a church family, we're going through all of the New Testament letters this year, looking at how they begin and how they conclude. And so now we are at the conclusion of Ephesians. Next week at our retreat, we'll look at uh, the beginning and the end of Philippians. And so we'll continue on in this series. So if you aren't able to join us uh, at the retreat, we invite you to continue on in reading through Philippians. And then when we're back in July, we'll be on uh, to the next letter. But here we are in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're, we're picking it up where Paul has already been giving instructions for how uh, the home life should reflect the message of the gospel. And at the end of chapter 5, he had addressed husbands and wives, and now he continues here in 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, and so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. So as I mentioned, we're sort of picking up our reading uh, when Paul has already shifted the subject matter uh, to giving instructions for 
uh, how the gospel should be working itself out in the home of those who call themselves believers. And that'll be our first point, the, the, to see the gospel in our homes. And, and what does that mean? And it doesn't just start with children. He had began talking uh, to husbands and wives. But by way of reminder, uh, the way that this letter opened was that Paul talked about all of the blessings that we've been given by our Heavenly Father because of the redemption that he's given to us in Christ and that he's already given us his Holy Spirit as the down payment and the guarantee of our future inheritance. And so he's already reminded everybody of that good news. And now he comes, and he often does this. He starts his letters reminding them of the gospel. And then he gives them instructions for what it is that they're supposed to do with that. And his purpose in that is so that we wouldn't come to the end of the letters and read chapter 5, chapter 6, any of the times he gets into instructions, and then say, oh, okay, so I think that if I, as a child, obey my parents, like that's that's going to be the thing that makes me acceptable to God, that makes him want to save me or bless me, or if I be the best spouse I can be or the best worker, these are the things I need to do to get to heaven. No, Paul doesn't want anybody to think that, and so he's already reminded them that everything has been done for us in Christ. He has opened the way for you and for me to make it to heaven. And he's already made the sacrifice that was needed to be made. And he's already given us his Holy Spirit so that we could live in abundance. And now live in his strength as we now do the things he wants us to do. And so obedience still matters. Uh, he wants us to apply this in how we communicate with one another and how we treat one another and how we raise our children and how we interact with our neighbors and coworkers. But he wants us to do that out of the overflow of the good news of what we believe God has already done for us. And so this is not now our way to earn God's favor, but because we already have it, this is our way of expressing our thankfulness and our gratitude that he already loves us, that God couldn't love us any more than he does right now. And some of us struggle with thinking that. <laughs> Uh, we think he doesn't love us very much. And if we only did a few more things to please him more, he'd love us more. And uh, the, the repeated message of scripture is that if he didn't love us, he wouldn't have made us. He didn't have to make us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't have sent his son to die for us. He didn't have to redeem us. If he didn't already love us, he wouldn't have sent his Holy Spirit on young and old and male and female and all who simply say, I am hungry and I am thirsty and I need you. He created us in love and he's redeemed us in love and now in love toward us, he also wants us to live a certain way. He wants us to think and be able to make judgments. Uh, it was interesting, my, uh, our older two boys are in a golf class once a week now called the First Tee and it was a refreshing class uh, this past Wednesday because the entire class was on good judgment and bad judgment. And on this particular day, it ended up with like the, the heat index. I think it was like 102 degrees while they were taking this uh, golf class outside. And so their instructor was drilling home for them. You can make really bad decisions right now. If you're thirsty and you find your favorite can of pop and you chug it, you're not going to be happy than if you grab water that'll actually refresh you. Or if you're hungry and you grab a piece of watermelon, that will also nourish you. But if in this weather you grab a Snickers bar and chomp it down, 
that, is that good judgment or bad judgment? So he kept putting you know, different scenarios for them out there and then asking them, is that good or bad? And I was like, this is so refreshing to hear somebody talk about good and bad. And there really is a good and bad. And there's nothing wrong with telling all of these kids that you can have really bad judgment. That not everything you would think or desire to do would automatically be good just because you want to do it. But all of us will make good or bad decisions. And our loving Heavenly Father loves us enough to save us and to be truthful to us to tell us when there is right and wrong when there's danger ahead and when we can relax because things uh, are okay and things are safe and so here the first instruction is to children it says obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and your mother and reminding that this promise from long ago contained a Uh, this commandment from long ago contained a promise within it. And though we now celebrate something unique in Jesus and what he's done that they wouldn't have understood in the Old Testament, this principle in this commandment still applies. This is not something that has gone away. And so it's not, oh, good news, I'm forgiven by Jesus. I never have to listen to my parents again (laughs) because Jesus has already forgiven me. He's saying, no, yes, Christ has given us everything that we need and he's given us what we need to obey our parents. He's given us what we need to honor our mothers and our fathers, to care for and respect those who are older and wiser than we are. And there's nothing in the gospel that takes that burden away. So even when our relationship with our parents changes and we're no longer in their home and obeying or disobeying them, but now we're in our own homes, but we can still honor or dishonor them, that it should still be our desire in the Lord to seek to be as honorable as we can be, as respectful as we can be to them. Because they are the ones that God has placed in responsibility over us. And because of their care of us, we are here. And many times when we are then adults and we then imagine that um, we do most things by our own effort, we forget about the fact that we were all children once too. Somebody once changed our diaper. Somebody once had to prepare the food so that we could eat it. And had nobody done that, we wouldn't be here. And so whatever independence we now have and whatever abilities we maybe have acquired, we should always look back on those who have cared for us with a sense of honor and respect. And then if it ever becomes our responsibility to care for the ones who cared for us, that is one of the main ways we continue to honor them. When this was written uh, in the first century, just like when it was written originally in the Ten Commandments, the primary way in which the elderly were cared for was by their children. And so honoring our mothers and fathers was also a responsibility, not just of young ones in the home, but of adult children saying we want to come alongside and help our mothers and fathers as all of us go the way of eventually uh, lessening in our strength and in our capacities. And so will we take that responsibility seriously in honoring them? For the Apostle Paul, the gospel would manifest itself in our home if it's clear that we love and care for and honor those who have cared for us. Then he goes on to say, Fathers, Uh, to do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and so here now I do think he is uh, picturing uh, younger ones still in the home and saying specifically to fathers uh, 
that though you might have the ability and the capacity to simply rule by strength, that is not the way of the gospel. Uh, Jesus did not come in and simply uh, leverage his strength and uh, beat up a whole bunch of people around him. We do have moments in uh, anger over injustice where he flipped tables over in the temple where he called people out in their sin and he exhibited strength of character and personality. But the majority of time, he chose to invite people to listen to him, to invite people to follow him, to be truthful with them, but to do as little as possible to coerce people against their will in order to do things. And there can be many times, especially when we have the physical strength to, that it just becomes easier to make people do things rather than to get them to desire to do things and to actually shepherd their heart or father their heart and say, I I do want to listen to you and I want to help you understand that this is a good thing and that you should want to do it because it's a good thing for you. That'll always be slower and it'll always take more time, but it's one of the ways the gospel should Uh, live itself out within our homes. That our standard is not simply what can we do or what can we get away with, but what type of home would we love uh, to have that people would be living in? Is it one where everyone is in constant fear and nobody feels the freedom to say what they think? Would we call that a healthy environment? Or would we say, no, I think a healthy home and a healthy environment is where everybody is known and loved And everybody has the opportunity to speak, to say what they think, even though not everybody makes all of the decisions. Uh, The Bible is not against authority. Um, And there's a good authority that we need to exhibit. And that's part of what the Apostle Paul is doing in calling out specifically the fathers to say, you bear the primary responsibility here. You don't bear the sole responsibility here, but... In your responsibility of leading in your homes, you also are supposed to take the lead in cultivating the environment of your home so that everyone is equally loved and valued, cherished, nurtured, cared for uh, in all the ways that you can. And this is what he calls fathers to. It's a humbling message on Father's Day, but it is what our Heavenly Father is asking us to do in reflecting him that he knows us all by name. He knows about our needs. And so he's inviting us to allow the gospel to be shaped inside of our homes in such a way that we create that kind of environment of mutual love and respect. Uh, There was one time where one of my favorite uh, authors, C.S. Lewis, was uh, responding to a direct question that he was asked, and this was actually coming to him Um, not from a father in a home, but a mother in a home, uh, sort of feeling overwhelmed by just the the ordinariness of the day and not feeling that there's much significant in the daily routine of making a home. And so uh, she was just sort of wondering, is what I do important? And this is what C.S. Lewis wrote in response. He said, what do ships, railways, mines, cars, government, etc., exist for except that people may be fed, warmed, and safe in their own homes. As Dr. Johnson said, to be happy at home is the end of all human endeavor. We wage war in order to have peace. 
We work in order to have leisure. We produce food in order to eat it. And so the responsibility of making a home is the one job for which all others exist. I think the gospel working itself out in our lives would prioritize uh, the love, uh, the care, the concern that our Heavenly Father has for us among those with whom we have the primary opportunity to influence and shape. He goes from the gospel in the home to the gospel at work. Uh, It's striking. um, In verse 5, when it says bond servants, you just translate that slaves or servants obey your masters with fear and trembling. It throws me off just like it throws me off when my kids are now watching all these Star Wars cartoons and they keep calling each other master or not everybody. There's only some masters in there. But every time they say it, it just like sort of throws me off uh, in their description of that. Um, But it is saying, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And you read that and it is a reminder that we are reading about a time 2,000 years ago where slavery was ordinary, it was common, where many different people from many different ethnicities and backgrounds were slaves, where most of society sort of had two tiers to it. There were those who were wealthy and in the political ruling class, and there was everybody else. And in the everybody else, you likely would have been a slave. It didn't mean you automatically were, but there really wasn't much hope or expectation that you could ever get out of the one and into the other. Uh, You either were born with a Um, nobility or you were born a peasant uh, and you didn't have many rights and so when we read in something like this one of the questions that is raised by contemporary readers and looking back is to say so does it seems like then the bible is okay with slavery and uh, that paul here is not critiquing it he's not telling all of the slaves that they should lead a rebellion in seeking freedom and that is one legitimate a question to raise to the text. Why isn't Paul encouraging more rebellion in this? Uh, but another way to read this is to recognize that Paul is writing this letter to the church and he is addressing the bondservants. One, he is imagining that in the church there are servants and slaves present in the gathered assembly. That one of the ways that the gospel is shaping these first believers is that in every area of their lives, when they maybe would have said, hey, servants, you need to stay outside because this is our time now, Paul is presuming that in the gathered community, they don't treat people like that. And so gathered together are people from a variety of social standing, and there are slaves and free. So that when this letter is read publicly, He's assuming that everybody is hearing this. And so then you ask the question, well, what is it, what was the message of the gospel that would make it attractive for slaves in the first century to join the church? What is it in the message of the gospel that would make it desirable for slaves in the first century to consider themselves now part of the church? And this is part of what we'll get into uh, at our retreat at Beulah Beach. But if you still have a Bible, just turn to the next letter to Philippians, and you'll hear this description of our Lord Jesus himself. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and on. Here, the Apostle Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself himself, 
by taking the form of a servant slash slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a radical message (laughs) that the one and only Son of God, who is therefore the one and only rightful heir to all of the blessings that the Father would have, would willingly choose to become a slave so that the blessing that is rightfully his could be shared with you and with me. And so if you're a slave in the first century and you're hearing that the God who made you has sent his son not only to die for you, but to enter into a social status similar to you so that you could have hope, not immediately in this life of upward mobility, but for all of eternity into communion and fellowship with the Father. This is a message that resonates and it continues to so that many people from all walks of life receive and believe this message of the good news of the gospel and it transforms their work not then as uh, as if they work hard they're going to be guaranteed all these promises in their work if they work hard they're going to you know they're going to have their own venture one day like we might think of the ability to to move up in life over time almost none of them had that expectation but the apostle paul still said to them the gospel can influence your work And you can do your work for a different reason. Instead of doing it for your earthly master, if you think of yourself as doing it for your heavenly father who sent his son to be a servant like you, it can transform how you do your work, the joy that you have in your work, the dignity and the character formation that comes in it. And you can trust that if you don't get your payday like you should here and now, you serve a heavenly father who's keeping record, who's keeping an account, and you're gonna get paid. (laughs) Jesus alluded to this when he said, you know, the first in this life are actually gonna be the last in the life to come. And many of the last or the least in this life will be among the first in the life to come. We all will await that day to see what that fully and really looks like but it is a promise from our heavenly father to say whatever injustice continues to exist and be uh, carried on in this life will be made right that our heavenly father will give a judgment and he will right the wrongs and so then paul goes on to the masters and tells them in verse 9 masters do the same to them stop threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him now here again in this mixed company of believers the apostle paul is calling out the the masters and saying You have a master in heaven who you are going to give an account for. So just like in the home, what is simply allowable is not the standard of our behavior. Now in society, what you could get away with and how you treat people is again not the standard. The gospel is the standard. Don't threaten. Don't coerce. Do not 
force. Do not mistreat. Your heavenly Father has no partiality. You being a master today means nothing on judgment day. Them being a slave today means nothing on judgment day. When you stand before your maker, you'll stand as equals, as human beings before the God who made you. So if you feel like you have any sense of superiority over them, or that your life is more valuable than them, it's not. Is it valuable? Yes. But it's as valuable as every other life God has made. Because the value that our Heavenly Father puts in our lives is not whether we are master or slave, male or female, strong and able, or weak and fragile. And that, if we believe that, should really affect how we then apply the gospel at work in our ordinary responsibilities, whether we're in charge or whether our responsibility is to submit and to carry out our orders. But that still applies to us today as we think about how the gospel should manifest itself. And then the last heading that I'm putting to the the description as he talks about the whole armor of God is this is a description of the gospel in the home and the gospel at work and eventually of all of us uh, finding ourselves at home in the gospel. Um, Because Paul's bringing up specific relationships, but again, not to limit it to those things. And so if we raise our hand and say, but what about this? But what about this? Like he, he can't think through every scenario. But as he's given instructions to husbands and wives, to parents and to children, uh, to workers and to owners, and now ends with this charge to all of us of what it means to put on the whole armor of God, he's encouraging all of us to be ready for the work that we have, whatever that work is going to be. Whatever the challenges that we might face that we would find ourselves at home in the gospel, that we would be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and that we would have the whole armor on us. So whether it's physical sickness that weighs us down for a prolonged period of time, whether it's seemingly constant conflict in our home, even though we feel like we're trying to apply the gospel at home, we will all go through different trials, different challenges. Because it's, we're not only dealing with our own weaknesses and difficulties, there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a present darkness around us. And so all of us together will be confronted by horrible tragedies in our community or unexpected loss and suffering uh, in our own lives. And there again, we say, well, what are we supposed to do? Well, we won't always know. The Bible doesn't necessarily have a verse for every situation we'll encounter. But therefore, the more and more the gospel gets inside of us and that we see every opportunity as whether it's a spouse or a parent or a child or a neighbor or a worker or a manager and that we just continue on to say, not even necessarily what do I think is best to do, but God, what do you want to do with this? How would you want this handled? How would you talk to this person if you were talking to them? (laughs) Uh, How would you address this challenge if somebody was asking you what to do? And he's telling us to get ready for that. And so rather than this description of the armor being a description of, uh, of a battle strategy, there's actually no strategy involved in it. He's telling them to have the right equipment on and to make sure you know how to use it so that when whatever battle comes, 
you're ready for it. But there's no way to make a scenario for every challenge that's going to be raised and every issue that's going to come. But we can do the work of preparation to be ready, to encourage one another to be ready, to challenge one another about how we're applying the gospel at home, how we're applying it at work, how we're applying it in our neighborhoods, in our community. And that as we do that together, that is part of how we are then being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Here again, this might feel like a burden of, I don't know how I could do all of that. And it's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a love letter from your heavenly father saying, because I love you, I'm just telling you, I want you to be ready. The challenges will come. And I don't want you to feel in those challenges like you've been abandoned like you've been left. I want to tell you about them ahead of time. I want you to get practice ahead of time in your home and at work as much as you can so that in the darkest of those moments, you still know and believe that you are at home here, that God really does love you, that the Spirit really is with you. I've shared this analogy before, but our family is about to experience this now as we're anticipating moving in about two weeks. And I moved a lot growing up, um, and probably living in seven or eight different homes uh, before I was in fifth grade, never leaving the school district. Um, but for me, one of the ways I always knew as we went into a new home uh, that this house now felt like a home was when I finally kind of got a sense of where everything was when the lights were out. Uh, because when you move, even though it's your own furniture, when you put them in a new room uh, and the lights aren't on, you don't know where they are. And it always takes a while to figure out where the light switch is to turn it on. You don't realize how often you get this muscle memory and you just know exactly the height that a light switch is when you've done it a bunch of times. When you get into a new place, you're kind of like going like this, like on the wall until you finally figure it out. But even if you can't figure it out and you've lived somewhere long enough and the lights aren't on, you still know how to get from one side of the room to the other without constantly stubbing your toe because you know where things are. And so I always knew that this house was starting to feel like a home when I knew where I was when it went dark. And I don't know what that will be for you or for me, but I think there's a correlation in our faith. Will you still know the most important things when the lights go out? when you are just not sure how you're going to make it through the day? Will you still have this sense of, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the day, but I know that my Heavenly Father loves me. I know that He has given me His Spirit, that I am not alone in this situation, and He's going to get me through. The more you develop that in you, your faith has gone from your head to your heart, to know where you are and what you believe and whom you believe in, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And your Heavenly Father desires that for you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its power. We thank you for its truthfulness as it challenges us to not separate our faith and to think that we're supposed to come and sing and uh, dress up on a Sunday and that you don't care about what we do on a Monday or a Tuesday or that we can talk nice here, but we don't have to be nice to each other. And just thank you that your word 
obliterates those distinctions that you want us to honor you and to follow you everywhere and every day that you want us to live with integrity and truthfulness um, to apply your message in every relationship that you've given to us and so we pray that you would help us to do that to have a seamless faith that trusts in you in the variety of situations that we encounter we thank you that you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places we thank you that your son has done already everything that we need for redemption and we thank you that your holy spirit is with us helping us to apply the gospel in our homes at our work and in our lives we thank you in jesus name amen